What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Sergey Kotlier is the CEO of BitRefill. In this conversation, we talk about the importance of a circular economy, how exactly the Bitcoin economy should learn from other circular economies, what the difference between Bitcoin the movement and Bitcoin the tool is, and why Bitcoin maximalists need to understand that there's a lot of nuance in the world. I really enjoyed this conversation with Sergey, and I hope that you guys enjoy it as well. Let's jump into this one and let me know what you think once you're done listening. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Sergey here with me. Uh, I thought a great place that we could start this conversation was around the importance of a circular economy. You gave a a speech recently uh, on Pizza Day, and I thought that that specific topic uh, could could use some more uh, elaboration. And so maybe explain what is a circular economy and why is it so important in the context of Bitcoin? Right. Um, um, Well, whatever vision, I think, that you may have for for Bitcoin for cryptocurrency, uh, uh, whatever it is, like all of the benefits of it only really start to materialize in a big way in a world where uh, where money circulates within the internet layer, right? In a lot of ways, uh, uh, today we're in this weird stage where most or much of the activity happens on uh, on a, a regulated exchange that is an extension of the banks right so it's uh, you you're like you're doing the bank stuff to get your your coins and then you do your crypto stuff uh, and then you need the bank to get off uh, which is very weird and inconvenient and creates this hilarious irony of uh, uh, of uh, the industry saying fuck the banks uh, on one hand but on the other hand uh, please give us a bank account Right, uh, and, uh, and and so we're we're always in this uh, weird tension, and it's in some ways it's like if someone invented email today with all the tech that we have, and people would be like writing emails on paper, and then like snapping a picture with their iPhone and emailing the picture, and then printing it on the other side. Like it's still useful for some stuff, but like once it can circulate in the cloud, yeah, that's when we really start to see. Uh, all of the benefits uh, in in terms of you, you know the privacy, censorship, resistance, flow of money, uh, flow of value, all of all of these things. And so, um, I think uh, and uh, what we've been doing at Bitrefill for uh, soon eight years now is is to try to further that, right? Uh, to uh, to create uh, a world where people can be comfortable with uh, keeping their money in Bitcoin, uh, with keeping their money in the cloud, knowing that. Uh, when uh, it becomes time for me to buy something with that money, I will be able to do so, um, right? Uh, because hell, what, what kind of a shitty internet money uh, uh, do we have otherwise if you can't buy stuff with it? So we kind of like uh, uh, the circular economy. Obviously, is uh, uh, it requires a full circle. We're part of that, you know. We're the the chicken side of the chicken and egg. We still need eggs. Uh, we still need ways for people to to get their coins uh, to to earn them or, or whatever. Um, but at least we provide uh, the the leading, uh, to my knowledge, in the world place for people to actually spend their coins. 
So when we think of this circular economy, um, part of it is that the legacy finance system is a circular economy, right? If you take like the dollar-based system, uh, I can get paid in dollars, I save in dollars, I invest in dollars, I spend dollars, I pay my taxes in dollars. And it always is, uh, it kind of circulates within this dollar-denominated system and, and it works. Now, as there is a rise of, we can call the new digital financial system, uh, in some way, uh, we have to rely on that legacy system, bank accounts and, and some of these things. So there's connectivity or, or there's some uh, foundation that is still being used. Is the thought process that eventually these two systems will completely splinter from each other and the new digital financial system will need to stand on its own and be its own circular economy without any dependence on the legacy system? Or is there a world where we have a circular economy of you know using Bitcoin, saving in Bitcoin, uh, but still there is uh, maybe some interaction, connectivity, or reliance on the legacy financial system at the same time? Like, How do you see these two systems interacting with each other, maybe in the steady state you know, two decades from now? It's, it's an excellent question, and I think different people have different views on that. Um, I think that interaction is good, um, but if if uh, if we don't have our own uh, the other the more uh, cypherpunky thing to fall back on, uh, then we will always be in a, in a, in a problematic situation uh, when it comes to the powers that be. We will always be in the please give us a bank account phase <laughs> uh, of uh, of things. So in a lot of ways, it it, it has a lot of benefit. Uh, even for the people that don't uh, actively use it on a on a, on a regular basis, the, the the knowledge that there is a crypto economy where I can spend my coins without you know, going back into uh, into the traditional system. Um, so I think there is, a, a, I mean, obviously a, a lot of uh, uh, um, overlap and bridge points, right? And all of the different uh, exchanges and and so on are are are, are that. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you, you know, a, a realistic scenario, I mean, look at how I, I look at all of these things that like how internet technologies have evolved in, well, at least within my lifetime, uh, w- which is like, yeah, we have the internet, you know, we still have phones, so we can still, you know, we could have had this conversation over a phone call uh, over a traditional phone line, but we choose to do it over the internet because it's better. Um, so uh, there's still a postal service, uh, even though you can send an email at uh, at zero cost. So it, it's good to be able to to interface with the old world, and I think we will always need to. And the old world is super entrenched, right? And I mean, if you look at uh, the history of of Bitcoin and and the the world uh, uh, in which Bitcoin arose and how it happened, I see it as one of these things that, um, you know, if you've ever worked with with uh, programmers, uh, there is a, 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 at some point a situation where a programmer gets fed up with a particular problem and he just codes a massive detour around it just to like fuck this thing. Right, and Bitcoin is like that for uh, for for money. Uh, but that the, the the nerds coded it all the way back from from gold level and all the way up to the payments level, and are trying to build their entirely own uh, standalone thing. Uh, and and so from that perspective, yes, it takes a lot of time. And obviously, the governments that control the munitions and so on are not going to be the primary uh, allies of that. And probably, like the the realistic best case scenario is for them to let it happen. Uh, you know, the laissez-faire type uh, uh, type approach that we've seen 
in many democratic countries when it comes to the internet, for example. What's fascinating is you're talking about this workaround, this idea of if you want to actually use software to uh, uh, go around a problem, an obstacle, uh, some sort of friction, uh, most people would say, cool, let's just go build a payment system. Let's go build you know, some sort of financial service. And I think maybe in the fintech sector, that's what you see people trying to do is they're almost looking yeah. at the micro problems and they're saying, hey, banks suck, or there's not a lot of good co- connectivity on the internet to the banking system. Let's go route around that with software. But Bitcoin, as you mentioned, is something that is a much more ambitious project. It's saying, no, actually, it's not just the micro problem. There's a macro problem with the money itself. And so we have to go all the way back in the most first principles approach possible and rebuild from scratch. Now, when we see that, how much of the the folks and the companies that are working on the micro problem, how important are they? So if it's things like a Stripe or there's some sort of Plaid, which is like banking connectivity, uh, those micro solutions that are definitely improvements to the legacy financial world, uh, but they still are using the old money or using some of the old system, uh, are they important as part of this movement? Or should every single developer at those companies kind of throw their hands up, say, hey, I'm working on a micro problem. Let me go and work on the macro problem, which is this Bitcoin project that, you know, if we really come at it from a first principle standpoint, uh, is a completely different thing. Like, how do you think about the maybe value uh, and contribution to pushing forward uh, finance to billions and billions of people between micro and macro? I think they they overlap as well. Like I think at this point, it's very hard to say where uh, where crypto ends and fintech begins and so on. They they are the same, and and that is uh, uh, the course of it is that eventually uh, it, it will merge entirely in the end. Um, I mean, in terms of like companies, uh, I'm a, I'm a bit old school in the sense that I believe that. The company's uh, purpose is to generate revenues uh, and profits for shareholders uh, and uh, some kind of benefit uh, to customers, right? So um, in some cases, a company uh, may see that, uh, hey, let's go for the easy route uh, where we can get uh, instant traction versus working on this thing that you know requires massive society-level behavioral change and whatnot, right? Uh, and so I don't think that they should be blamed for it in any way. And I do think that it is helpful. Like if we look at just the overall trend uh, trajectory of any money type system, you know, including airplane miles and so on, is that we're very clearly on a uh, on a slope towards things that have higher liquidity, right? And it, whenever somebody tries to create a thing that has like bad liquidity, like airplane mode points, and somebody creates a marketplace uh, for them, right? To make them tradable for other types of monies and other things and so on. So, uh, and this that's the same that FinTech is, right? I mean, all FinTech is just updating numbers in somebody else's database, right? Uh, at, at the end of the day, we don't produce a thing. We don't have factories. We just we just connect APIs basically and, and build UIs for, for these things. And that is, of course, useful. And I mean, uh, who, who's going to say that uh, that a fintech that's used by tens of millions of people is not useful? Obviously, it's useful. 
When you see the circular economy, how important is it that people are able to convert fiat currencies or take my dollars and buy Bitcoin uh, versus maybe mine Bitcoin versus getting paid in Bitcoin, right? Like, like how important is the circular economy or what is the dependence on the insertion point of the money being paying people directly versus just simply converting old currency into the new currency? Do you, is there a difference or, or uh, it, should we really focus on one or the other? No, I think it's all good. Uh, I mean, I think we've done a pretty good job uh, on the the case where we convert uh, other kinds of money into in, into Bitcoin. Um, maybe not as much on the uh, how to get paid in it and so on. Um, I mean, one thing that that we've uh, uh, discovered at Bitwefill over the years in terms of like figuring out like how to market a, a tra- transactional cryptocurrency based consumer service is uh, obviously that not all cryptocurrency uh, holders are going to be potential customers of this simply due to the fact uh, that they you know they don't want to spend their coins they want to save them because the price might the value might go up uh, right so what we look at a lot is uh, for people who have coins to spend uh, right uh, and if you just think of it okay coins to spend how, how can somebody end up with coins to spend well they maybe bought bought uh, bitcoin uh, 5 years ago and it went up in value but maybe they get their paycheck in Bitcoin, right? Uh, and if you get your paycheck in Bitcoin, then you're almost certainly going to have uh, coins to spend, and you're going to be uh, a factor in uh, in this uh, uh, in this economy. So I think it is actually qu- quite important. But uh, uh, as we uh, discussed uh, before the call, like I'm, I'm not a fan of uh, sort of guilting people that this is what you should be doing. Uh, in order to be uh, to be a good Bitcoiner, I think you should do whatever makes sense for you to, to live your life in uh, in, uh, in in the best way. And I think when it comes to builders, then yes, I think it's important for builders to think about. You know, there are people in the world today that will gladly take an income uh, in in Bitcoin. Uh, who are they? Uh, what kind of work do they do? How can we provide a service for them? How can we market it to them? And, and all of these things. I think there's a lot of opportunity to build things. And some of my favorite projects in the space are things that are doing exactly that. Yeah. When uh, I think about you, you have this framework that always sticks to the top of my head, which is the difference between Bitcoin, the movement and Bitcoin, the tool. Uh, you've talked about this uh, during your pizza day talk, and, and I've heard you mention it uh, in other forms as well. Describe a little bit uh, kind of this framework. Like, What is Bitcoin, the movement and how does that differentiate from Bitcoin, the tool? Sure. Yeah. So. When it comes to, I mean, a very simple example, uh, I mean, Bitcoin is both, right? Uh, uh, Bitcoin, the tool is the thing that you use, you send transactions, you, you keep them on a wallet and so on. Uh, and, and Bitcoin, the movement is, uh, you know, you participate in, in conferences, you listen to podcasts, probably like this. Uh, you consume uh, content, you learn about it, you're passionate about it, you wish to see it succeed, right? That is the movement. Whereas the, the tool is, uh, hey, I, I need to make a transaction or I need this guy to pay me. Uh, I need, need to solve this particular problem. And, and these are very, uh, you, you know, in, I think in the beginning uh, of the history of, uh, of Bitcoin, they, they were very much the same, right? It was this hackery, scratch my itch uh, type situation. And, and so the movement arose among people who were using uh, the tool. Uh, over the years, uh, uh, more and more people came in because... Uh, well, they they bought uh, Bitcoin and they want to see 
uh, see its value go up. So they're like financially motivated to be, and also they just want to be part of this sort of revolutionary society level change, right? So, so we have this this movement that is very much about a tool, uh, but where it's not necessarily required to use the tool to be part of the movement, right? So, I mean, a simple example, like say, name any tool, like scissors. You know, do you ever use scissors? Yes. <laughs> do you ever go to conferences about scissors? No. Why would you even do that? Would, would you listen to a podcast about uh, about scissors? No. Why? Right. Uh, and, and so uh, and, and that's like the tool attitude. It's just a thing. It just solves the thing that I needed to solve um, versus, uh, you know, the movement where we have all of these discussions and, and so on um, with vision, uh, ideology and passion and, and all of these things. Um, another way of seeing it is, uh, you, you know, if you want to download, let's take software that's not uh, uh, movement connected, at least for me, like BitTorrent, for example. Say I, I want to download uh, some piece of legal internet content uh, in a big file and I need a BitTorrent client, I would type into Google BitTorrent client and I would get the first one, right? Uh, and then I would download my file and I would be done. Uh, and I would move on with my life. I wouldn't necessarily engage with BitTorrent Twitter uh, with whatever technical discussions uh, uh, about different trade-offs of different solutions and protocols and client implementations and all of these things that uh, that we we argue about uh, within uh, within the community, uh, right? And so, and there are plenty of people uh, that are part of. Uh, the movement that don't necessarily use the tools, uh, right? I mean, you can be, and, and, and many, like most people that uh, uh, are part of, uh, of the Bitcoin movement, uh, I would say are people that, you know, hey, I think it's cool. I want this to exist, like truly and passionately. I want all of this, uh, uh, the, the uh, censorship resistant money, free flow of value over the internet. Uh, I, I want it all. I, I believe in it and I want it to exist. But, you know, I get my paycheck every month uh, to my regular bank account and I just blip my Apple Pay and it's fine and it works. And, yeah, you know, I bought some Bitcoin on, on exchange and I keep them on a, on a hardware wallet uh, that uh, I secured really, really well so I can never get my Bitcoins out even if I really wanted to. Uh, and so then I'm, I'm not really using uh, the tools uh, so much, but I'm part of the movement, right? And, and, and it's uh, when, you, when you interact within the movement, uh, it's sometimes very easy to forget that uh, people who are part of the movement are not necessarily users of the tool, uh, right? So you, you, you like uh, easy experiment is like you, if you go to a conference, uh, a Bitcoin conference, and just stop a random guy and say, "Hey, uh, like which brand of Bitcoin wallet do you use?" Uh, okay, maybe which brand do you have on your phone? And then it's like, "When did you last make a transaction?" Right. And if it's in a conference, it's going to be like, yeah, well, I bought a T-shirt uh, five minutes ago with, with Satoshi's. But other than that, it's been it's been six months. Right. So, so you, you'll have people that are members of the movement, but not necessarily users of the tool. And then on the contrary, you have a, a large group of people that are users of the tool, but don't care about the movement. Right. So say that you uh, you like recently I heard a story of uh, uh, a developer uh, in, in Russia that needed to get paid uh, for uh, for work and it's impossible to, to do so. So uh, it's like, okay, well, I'll take Bitcoin. Um, so th that's a user, right? And uh, what is he going to do for 
uh, his thing is going to type in Bitcoin wallet uh, into the App Store or into Google or, or whichever, and he's going to download the first one that looks legit enough. Uh, and it's going to get paid. And then I mean, maybe he's going to at some point buy something with it or send it to an exchange or whatever. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is going to mega engage uh, with uh, uh, with the community, start hanging out on Twitter, going to conferences and all of these things, right? And, and, and so this is kind of the, the distinction and something that uh, I think was kind of non-obvious, uh, at least to us uh, in the beginning because we spend all of our time hanging out with people who are part of the movement. Uh, we hang out on Twitter, uh, go to conferences, all of these things. So you only see the movement uh, section, the movement part of the Venn diagram. Uh, you never see the people at all, uh, those who only use it as a tool and don't, couldn't care less about any of the, uh, the mov movement things. Um, and so it's, it's a good framework uh, for, I think, when building, especially like transactional services, to be mindful of that, uh, you know, you have your friends within the movement uh, and, and they're great and they're your buddies, but then you also have your customers and they might not be part of the movement. They just want to use the thing for the specific benefit that it provides to them, right? Uh, but, but the approach is very different in how you communicate with them and so on. What's fascinating about this is you're essentially uh, separating out uh, as a user, you could be a passive user or an active user, right? It's kind of the way I think about it. And the passive user uh, is the holder and holding is definitely a use case. Holding is uh, providing you the value of protecting your purchasing power and, and really kind of the store of value uh, um, properties that I think people are very excited about Bitcoin. What you're highlighting, though, is uh, there's a lot of folks. But not even all holders uh, are going to be part of the movement Correct. either, right? Correct. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, this Bitcoin thing, I don't even know what it is. I just buy some, and then I hold it in my Charles Schwab account, and that's it, uh, right? And you would never see them on Twitter or on a conference or anything. And probably like a big chunk of Bitcoins are being uh, hold used by people like that as well, right? So it's not sort of, these things are kind of orthogonal. Well, well, what I think is interesting is not all holders are participants in actively in the Bitcoin movement, but all active participants in the movement are likely holders, right? So they mm -hmm. at least, if you're if you're participating in the movement and kind of the, the, the social component to it, you likely at least hold Bitcoin. Yes. But I think that you're highlighting another thing, which is not all active participants in the Bitcoin movement are active users of Bitcoin from a transaction standpoint. And right. so again, not all transactional users of Bitcoin are participants in the Bitcoin kind of social movement as well. And so there's almost this like different factions. Now, generally they're all working towards the same goal. Uh, they are likely aware of each other, but I think what you're really calling out is, hey, the people who use Bitcoin on a day-to-day -day basis, but are not participating in the movement, they may just not care. Right. They, they, the whole idea of like uh, uh, reinventing the financial system or any of this, like the big macro uh, kind of importance or, or, or things that get the Bitcoin movement folks excited. The everyday user who is transacting in Bitcoin may just be like, look, I don't care about any of that stuff. I got to go to work. I got to get paid. I got to, you know, uh, buy food for my family. And like, this is the best way to do it for whatever reason. But yeah. what I do think it also brings is the people who are participating in the movement, a lot of those people are uh, investors, they are entrepreneurs, they are the ones who are trying to build the infrastructure and services. And you're kind of ringing the bell and say, remember, 
the people at the conference are not necessarily all of your customers. And actually, if you build a product for the people who aren't at the conference, you may be better off than just simply building it so that the person at the conference is like, wow, look how slick this is. I can now buy Bitcoin using Apple Pay or, or whatever uh, it is. Yeah, um, exactly like that. And the, um, I mean, it, it, it is natural. It's it just that it, it creates this, uh, again, uh, that, that it's like, it's, it's a very obvious thing, but then like you spend all of your time consuming, uh, consuming content from the movement and, the, and from the, uh, the tool people, there is content from the tool people as well, but you, you never see it. And we, we don't re- even, you know, like, Hey, which wallet should you use? And so on. Is like, it fair? Is it fair to say that we need both that we need the people using the tool and we also need the people in the movement? Like both of them are important in order for Bitcoin to be successful. Or do you think that uh, we have over rotated on either side uh, of kind of that equation? Yes, I agree. I think both are important. Uh, whether or not we've over rotated, maybe. Uh, I think uh, at least in the extent of like what, what the discourse is about within the movement, uh, it becomes less and less uh, about the use. And, and the discussion about the use is always about the holding use, not so much about uh, the transactional use, right? Uh, which uh, I think misses uh, a, a very big point, uh, which is that, you know, a Bitcoin that you can't transact over the internet is is kind of useless. Uh, it's even useless as a store of value. Like all of this is like, this is Satoshi 101, uh, sort of uh, all of this stuff was discussed within the first month of, uh, of Bitcoin. Uh, if you think of like how Satoshi motivates uh, uh, why 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 Bitcoin should have any value at all, it's like yeah, well, it's this scarce resource that you can teleport over the internet, uh, right? And if it had any value at all, uh, then it would be quite useful because I can buy it here and I can sell it there and I can send it over the internet, and that's pretty cool. And and why would it get any value at all? Well, because it might make sense to get some in case it catches on, right? And, and I mean that that is. The history of uh, yes. uh, in uh, in one uh, one and a half Satoshi post. This is the history of uh, uh, of the uh, of the industry. Uh, but sometimes we get, uh, and especially like because everybody in the movement is a holder. Yeah, uh, so we we all want to hear things about uh, on some on some level we want to hear about the impending collapse of the fiat system, uh, or you know that the macro. Uh, macro environment uh, is uh, such that we should expect the price of, uh, of Bitcoin to be going up. It makes us feel good and it's interesting and, and it's uh, it's an interesting topic. And so uh, I think that like a lot of content ends up being uh, created uh, about uh, these things, whereas uh, some of the transactional use, like, yeah, but I, I don't even use that stuff. So why would I, uh, why would I uh, listen to content about something that I'm not looking to use anyway? Um, uh, so um, so one of the questions I have is when you think of Bitcoin and you go back to maybe 2017, uh, obviously there was a lot of people trying to use Bitcoin from a transaction standpoint. Some of them were trying to buy it and, and you know, move on chain uh, between uh, exchanges or, or some other uh, form or fashion and fees exploded upwards. And that was one of the big problems uh, was people saying, hey, my transaction is taking too long. Fees are too high. This is unusable from a transaction standpoint. The critics of Bitcoin pointed to that as a reason why 
Bitcoin would never work. And, and uh, kind of we all, you know, if you've been around, you, you understand kind of how that played out. Now, today we look and fees on the layer one are actually incredibly cheap compared to uh, the historical norms. One of the things that the Bitcoin community will point to is say, oh, that's because of the rise of the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network is for, you know, smaller transactions. It's faster. It's cheaper. Um, I know that you all uh, at BitRefill have spent an enormous amount of time, money, and energy uh, uh, really investing in the Lightning Network and, and doing the best you can to see that come to fruition. I've invested in a number of companies that are either uh, helping on the infrastructure side, that are actually using the Lightning Network, uh, whatever. But what caught me, I think, a little off guard and many people off guard was you had a very sobering talk about the use of the Lightning Network and kind of where we actually are in regards to where you thought we would be at this point. And so is the Lightning Network overhyped? Is Lightning Network not actually working the way that you would have expect? Or is this just the classic story of hard technology takes a very long time uh, before it is used on a global scale? This episode is brought to you by Valor, which represents what's next in the digital economy. They provide simplified trusted access in crypto, decentralized finance, and Web3 investment opportunities. Institutions and investors can gain diversified, secure, compliant, and easily tradable access to a diversified set of industry-leading equity products and protocols, all through a single stock purchase on a regulated exchange. They currently are listed in the U.S. under the DEFTF stock ticker and on the Canadian NEO exchange under DEFI. For more information or to subscribe to receive company updates and financial information, visit their website at valor.com. That's V-A-L-O-U-R.com. This episode is brought to you by FTX US. They're the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. Trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than the top competitors. There are no fixed minimums, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. This episode is brought to you by BCB Group. With a dedicated focus on institutional payment services, BCB Group provides business banking, cryptocurrency and foreign exchange market liquidity for many of the world's largest crypto-engaged financial institutions. The BCB business accounts allow businesses to load fiat currency and cryptocurrencies for payments, operations, and trading purposes. BCB's Blink Network is the European crypto industry's first instant settlements network and one of the first real-time payment networks of its kind to allow free real-time transactions across fiat and digital currencies. BCB's vision is to empower the global financial revolution through sustainable and innovative banking. Find out more by visiting bcbgroup.com slash POMP today. bcbgroup.com slash POMP. I think that some people interpret it in that way. Uh, and the, the way that Twitter works is that uh, the most extreme version of Oops. something and uh, the most... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Conflict uh, inciting version is the one that gets traction. So in the end, that's what the message ended up being, even though it wasn't. Like I was talking to Lightning builders at a, a Bitcoin and Lightning conference. Uh, you mean so, that uh, the the meme Sergey is anti Lightning is incorrect? <laughs> yes, uh, Sergey is incredibly bullish on Lightning. Um, I think that, but but also I think that like we uh, we need to be with the builders. <laughs> need to be honest with ourselves uh, with what's going well what's going badly what can we do better how can we get it to grow faster i mean lightning is growing depending on which metric but but like uh, two to four x every year but that's pretty good right yeah that's pretty good but uh but also like in the crypto industry we every once in a while see things that just like takes 
fuck off uh, in a big hockey stick. And Lightning hasn't really done that. So it's somewhere in, 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 in between. I think that the thing that we need to understand is a lot of these things and, and like how you described 2017, uh, I wouldn't entirely agree with uh, all of that. And I don't know if we should go into the details. Yeah, explain. Uh, uh, well, I mean, in 2017 was a, a world in which before then transaction fees were negligible. Uh, and so nobody cared about optimizing anything to save on, on fees or fee estimation and things like that. And so suddenly there was a boom cycle and people were sending coins to exchanges to sell them. Uh, and there were there was no optimizations in terms of saving on the data usage of transaction. There was no optimization, like none at all, uh, optimizations uh, on like fee estimation and so on. And it created like a big mess. Um, what happened after that is that over the course of some years, there's been a lot of optimization. I think the biggest optimization that has that has happened isn't Lightning. It's not even SegWit. It's simply the fact that centralized exchanges have started batching their transactions. So when you when you're a big exchange and you have you know a hundred people doing withdrawals per minute, then instead of making a hundred transactions, you make one transaction with a hundred different outputs, and that saves like uh, you know half uh, or actually no it saves uh, like at scale 90 percent plus uh, of, of the data usage and so a big part of why you see load uh, on the mempool being lower is uh, uh, is related to that uh, i helped create uh, a dashboard uh, called the transaction feed.info uh, that tracks a metric called payments which counts these individual outputs uh, to, to better uh, have a view of like how many you know transactions in the in the sense that people normally understand not in the bitcoin sense as uh, so we call them payments instead like how many payments are happening that number is is growing steadily um, but it's not you know uh, it's less than doubling every year uh, so it's growing at some p uh, pace. Uh, Lightning has a chunk uh, of, uh, of uh, on-chain traffic that has moved over. But I think that a big part uh, also because of like all of the events of 2017 uh, being so deeply rooted in the in the psyche of, uh, uh, of the Bitcoiners and how we've, uh, you know, at the time... Uh, Lightning was presented as this uh, the thing that will make it scale, and so in a lot of ways it was a political uh, thing because it was uh, opposed to the other things that the other camp wanted to do, which was increasing the block size and stuff like that. Uh, so it became the case that Lightning is being marketed primarily to people within the movement, uh, right? And so then it becomes that the users of Lightning are the intersection. Uh, of people who are users of uh, uh, users of Bitcoin, the tool, uh, and also members of uh, Bitcoin, the movement, uh, which is definitely a non-zero group. And as we just established, it's it's growing. Uh, you know, it's more than doubling every year. Um, so it's it's definitely growing. Um, but it is uh, in some ways uh, having trouble reaching the people that are not uh, in uh, in the movement because everyone in Lightning is so deep in the movement. And that was kind of the purpose of my talk is like, guys, you, you, we're all great, but let's look at the bigger world. And there's a lot of people that might use our things, but never get a chance to, because they never find out that, uh, that they exist because we are so focused to sort of people that are like us 
uh, where in reality many of the people that are like us in the, in, in the movement are actually not users of, uh, of transactional Bitcoin tools. And so like in terms of like user development, like their feedback is can be counterproductive. Yeah, right. You should talk to people that are like 100% user demographic. And so that was kind of a, a little bit what was the purpose of my talk then. Uh, I think that I'm still incredibly uh, bullish uh, on uh, on Lightning. I, I still uh, think that it is, uh, you know, the technology that uh, is most likely uh, to be uh, what brings uh, cryptocurrency to many people in a in a decentralized way. Um, it's definitely far ahead of the equivalent layer two solutions in the in the Ethereum world. Uh, I'll I'll say that. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it's important for us uh, who are building. And Lightning, I mean, Lightning by definition is a transactional tool, right? If your your only usage of of Bitcoin is to hold it in a hardware wallet or hold it in your Charles Schwab account then you're not going to be a user of Lightning <laughs> by definition, uh, right? And, and some people might do it uh, as a gimmick, like, oh, I'll spin up a node or, you know, I, uh, hey, I heard uh, Sergey said on uh, Pomp's podcast uh, that uh, to be a good Bitcoiner, I should run a Lightning node, so I'll do that, uh, right? Uh, so they do that, but, but it's not natural, right? Um, and so um, I, I think that that's like the, the, the important thing is to, uh, to be mindful of um, the people that um, that do uh, use uh, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies uh, on a transactional basis, and uh, again, you know, the question of like, oh, are they using other cryptocurrencies and shitcoins, this and that? Like, look, people who use it as a tool, we've already established like most of them couldn't care less about any of the things that we are uh, arguing over and which of the coins has the better decentralization properties or, or whatever. Uh, they just want to get their thing done. Um, and so a good example and uh, like th that I've brought up is to, to look at the wallets that are being used in, in transactional usage, right? And you, there's different ways of getting that information. I think the, the fairest one is to just, uh, you know, open the app store on your phone uh, or the Google Play Store and, and type in Bitcoin wallet. And then you can see what the algorithm uh, seems uh, has decided is the most likely that you will download, mm -hmm. uh, right? And, and that is what most people will download and so, what most people that couldn't care less are going to use. And, and, and that paints a clear picture, you know, because all of the wallets that we discuss in the, in, in the movement, in the community, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the best ones are there, sort of in the top 10, uh, at least. It's like, hey, you know. But like, hey, they're not anywhere near the top three. Right? Yeah. So uh, and, and and so that that also means even though we've spent all of this energy on education and and preaching and explaining and it, this is why you should use a wallet that's open source and this is why you should care about this security property or that security property, all of these things, right? But again, uh, the people that only want to use it as a tool, they never hear those things, uh, right? They, they don't get exposed to that. They just yep. typed in Bitcoin wallet in the, in the app store and that's that, they're done. They, they, they got their job done uh, that they wanted to get done. You know, they, they got paid uh, or they made the transaction that they wanted to do and they're, they're done. They moved on with their day. Uh, you know, uh, we're discussing, you know, who's, 
who is really a Bitcoiner, uh, you know, and what are the criteria uh, to fulfill for that? But like, nobody cares. And, and they don't probably identify as Bitcoiners. And, you know, we can argue, should we count them as Bitcoiners? And who, who cares? It's just words, right? Um, so yeah, I think that there's like these things are kind of like important to be mindful of. But and then also, okay, once you picture, uh, and I think you can, like to some extent, by seeing a wallet and like mm -hmm. maybe some geographical data and so on, you can a little bit picture uh, the user, right? I mean, you, you don't even need to know their age or gender or whatever. Those are like mm -hmm. the least interesting things. Um, you, you, you just kind of like, okay, it's the user I got the blockchain.com uh, wallet. Okay, uh, what's uh, that person like? Uh, okay, interesting. And then you can kind of like, uh, okay, they're in Nigeria. Okay, so you can kind of like, uh, count backwards a little bit and like, okay, but how do we reach that user? How do we, you know, create something that that user might uh, uh, think is interesting to use uh, in a completely transactional, non-loving way, uh, right? Uh, use is an excellent word here as like an op opposite to love. Uh, they're not going to love uh, Bitcoin. And I, I don't think that it necessarily it's a requirement that everybody in the world, uh, what is it, 8 billion people should all uh, love and be passionate about Bitcoin. I think most people are going to use it as a thing uh, and care about it just as much as you and I care about scissors. You know, scissors are great, but <laughs> yeah, we go about a day. No scissors conference. Uh, this begs the question of uh, when somebody Googles and uh, they go for a Bitcoin wallet, some results come up. But in order to get global adoption, do we need people to... Instead of Googling Bitcoin wallet, Google payments or uh, Google something that is non-Bitcoin related. And so they don't even know that they're necessarily using this new payment network. Uh, they don't know that they're using a different asset. It's just kind of pushed into the background and they simply know that they're using a payments application that is cheap and fast and it's better than you know whatever other products are available to them. And I kind of think of this in the sense of uh, when I go to a restaurant and I go ahead and I purchase something, I have no clue. Are they using the Visa network? Are they using a different network? All I know is I either give them cash or I give them a credit card and I'm able to buy what I want to buy. And you know, to your point, I don't care what the network is, right? It works, it did what it needed it to do and, and I'm out of there. Uh, how important is it for people to understand they're using Bitcoin or, or Googling Bitcoin wallet, Bitcoin payment app, something like that versus just serving the need and actually them knowing that it is Bitcoin may not be as helpful as maybe we think it is inside of the movement. I think it is kind of important because uh, in the beginning of the conversation, you were asking me about like fintechs that uh, don't start for all the way from the bottom, but to start from some part of the incumbent mm -hmm. system. And I think like a general rule uh, of uh, decentralization, let's say, is that a centralized solution will al always be able to do technically everything that the decentralized can do, but it can also do more things. Right, so the centralized will always uh, be faster and better uh, from a UX standpoint. Right, where where decentralization wins uh, is in the areas where decentralization shines. Right, so uh, if you if you don't have access to the other things for whatever reason, there's a lot of reasons why you might not be able to use these things as a fallback. Right, and so in some ways, like ah, oh, but you can use Bitcoin. Uh, it is useful uh, in that sense. Um, and, you know, the other part, it, it will kind of happen anyway, that uh, we're already seeing the, the challenger banks gradually uh, adding uh, Bitcoin functionality 
gradually adding send and receive and so on, even though like they too are metrics driven and they see that most of the users of the Bitcoin functionality just want a number that goes up in value over time. And so we don't even need to build deposits or withdrawals. Uh, we just need uh, people to buy it like a stock. Um, but but over time that will change. But but it, it, I think it's still sort of it is important uh, that uh, uh, that it has uh, that brand. You you can abstract it away, but then you just end up building a new brand, uh, right? Uh, so you end up, um, for example, like if you if you watch in El Salvador where the dominant wallet is the government wallet called Chivo. Uh, and uh, there's people that are like, yeah, well, we accept Chivo here, right? And that's maybe an easier message. And it also is, uh, y- you know, the easiest one for 80% of the people to understand. And they don't need to care about what this Bitcoin thing is or, or, or any of that. But then you you need to recreate the brand. The, the, the benefit of uh, Bitcoin is that it is a brand. It is an open source thing that people know. Yeah, just like internet is a brand or the web or or whatever, and so there is definitely a value in in using that. Yeah, I think both things. Like, I don't know. Um, it's a hard it's one. Yeah, it, it's yeah. a hard one, and and I don't think there actually is a right answer. As much as uh, w- what I get from your answer being uh, sometimes it's important for the Bitcoin brand, and and Bitcoin's brand is an advantage, and then other times maybe uh, there's a different brand, or it doesn't matter as much, and somebody just wants to be able to have the functionality, and whether they know it's Bitcoin or not might, might not be as important. Um, and so it's kind of a case by case basis. But but what I do think is important is that that violates the thought process. I think of a lot of, uh, at least the companies and the entrepreneurs that I talk to in the Bitcoin community. One of the biggest pieces of feedback that I constantly tell folks is your entire marketing message is towards what you would call the Bitcoin movement folks. Everything is, it's Bitcoin, use it because it's Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin. And I keep saying, listen, if you want mainstream adoption, if you want to get 50 million consumers using your payments application, there's a lot of people who see that it says Bitcoin and they just scroll to the next thing, right? They are not going to use it because it says Bitcoin. And so it's a blessing and a curse in some way. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know if there's people that would not use something because it has uh, Bitcoin. Oh, 100%. There are people, especially in the developed world, who if you just go on Twitter, go talk, go look at like FinTech Twitter, they hate Bitcoin. They think Bitcoin but, uh, is the dumbest thing in the world. Okay, so but by that reasoning, you would have expected Cash App uh, to uh, have declined in user numbers since they added the Bitcoin option. Like I, I don't no, think not necessarily not necessarily because I think that most people who use Cash App aren't they don't use the Bitcoin functionality. Of course, right? That's what I mean. So like it's just a feature, right? It doesn't yes. hurt. But, but Cash it. App, I don't think like this. Cash App's a good example. Cash App doesn't present itself in a hundred percent of its marketing as a Bitcoin app. What they say right. is Cash App is a payments application. And oh, by the way, we have this feature around Bitcoin. What I tried to to get across to a lot of the founders and entrepreneurs that I talked to is they show up and on the front of their slide deck is a Bitcoin payment app. And I tell yeah, them, but, I say- But they're presenting it to you. Uh, uh, of course. Like that, but, right? but even but, after I'm an investor, I tell them, listen, that is not going to get you tens of millions of consumers because- yeah. The people who don't know about Bitcoin or the people who, who are the Cash App user who don't use the Bitcoin functionality, you're essentially boxing them out. 
And so instead, if you were able to say, hey, we have the cheapest, fastest payments, and you don't even talk about Bitcoin, it just happens to be the thing you use, and the people who care will go figure out that Bitcoin is the network underneath it, my guess is that you're likely to get more users on a global basis than running around saying it's a Bitcoin app, because it's all marketing, right? Absolutely. And I mean, marketing is one of these things that uh, is... uh, uh, you know, because our 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 movement is so tech centric, uh, we tend to to idealize the tech, and we yes. always like all of us are techies in some way. Uh, even those who are non technical are kind of techy and enthusiastic, and we kind of want to solve all of the problems with tech, uh, right? So like uh, people are still solving the Bitcoin scaling problem, uh, but like, hey, I get news for you: the Bitcoin scaling problem was solved in like five different competing ways in 2018, like move on, like Bitcoin has a marketing problem, <laughs> so, which we need to, to solve in order to get to the scaling problem. But but uh, I think I, I, I digress a little bit. Uh, I mean, you, you are absolutely right. And this is because we're part of this movement. We are, our friends are in this movement. The people that we interact with uh, are in this movement. Uh, we want their their love and respect and adoration, right? We want them to like us. That's a natural uh, human uh, instinct, uh, but it's important to be mindful of whether or not, uh, sort of, uh, if your customer base uh, is 100% within the movement. And there's plenty of businesses that are uh, very successful that are like that, where they're like, no, no, this is specifically for Bitcoin community members, mm-hmm. and we're going to market it by becoming popular on Twitter, and that's great, you know. Uh, and uh, then the, then everything syncs up. Yeah, but if you're building something for the bigger audience, well, then you need to figure out how to reach uh, the, the bigger audience. And, and that is non-trivial. And uh, uh, you're probably right that, uh, uh, you know, the people that seek out Bitcoin are going to seek out Bitcoin. And there's a lot of people that seek out different properties, uh, right? But, but there's also that, uh, you know, some of the properties of Bitcoin uh, are, are not things that you can market really well. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you like uh, make the transactions that they don't want you to make. Ah, you don't put, don't put that on your uh, app store landing page. Um, but uh, but there are plenty of use cases uh, uh, that that are co- completely unproblematic. Like you know, pay anybody in the world. You know, or get paid from anybody in the world. Like uh, companies such as ours that have people. Uh, I think now in twenty six, twenty seven countries. Like yeah, well figuring out how to pay people with the local payment system in all of their countries is a lot of uh, a lot of work. It's easier for us to say, look, we can pay you in, uh, in, in Bitcoin and you figure out how to receive it. Uh, it's, it's part of the job is figure out how to get your paycheck. <laughs> That's fair enough, right? Uh, and especially if you if you, you you happen to live in a country that's not like one of the biggest countries in the world it's like yeah you kind of have to figure out a little bit how people will be able to pay you to participate in the uh, in the global work environment yeah that makes sense I, i've heard you a couple of times uh say the word crypto i heard you say ethereum e uh when describing something else uh you've also made a couple of comparisons and growth rates between maybe other areas uh of the crypto ecosystem that have exploded and, and maybe something in bitcoin's only two to four x uh, in the Bitcoin maximalist kind of most extreme uh, view of the world, you are violating and you are committing blasphemy by even mentioning the word crypto, uh, Ethereum or anything else. Uh, is it important to look at 
what else is happening in the crypto ecosystem, not necessarily to go and, and buy the assets or, or to trade them, but to understand growth rates and understand where users are flowing and what is working and what's not working from a technical basis? Or do you think it's all noise and, and uh, instead people should just focus on Bitcoin and not look at anything else? I think it is important to look, uh, and uh, I mean, what we've used at Bitrefill is always to like look at real transactional metrics because that's what cares, uh, what matters for us, right? Uh, the thing is that I mean, I think that part of the reason why 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 Bitcoiners hate uh, altcoins is because that it's a shadow of a dark thing that exists within Bitcoin. Like uh, it is the same, you know, like. Yeah, a lot of the, the a lot of the energy in Bitcoin is this desire to like make uh, uh, make money, right? You make an investment and the number goes up and suddenly you became richer. And that is, you know, what uh, what the altcoin community took and refined and packaged and iterated on and uh, you know made it made it pop more. <laughs> Uh, and like in, in most cases in scammy ways, so like, uh, let me be very clear about that. <laughs> uh, I'm not recommending, uh, that you, 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 you jump in head first to, to the shiniest object. Um, but it does lead some, in some cases, um, to, to easier, uh, like product market fit type, uh, interplays. And, and I, I can bring up one example. Um, so one of the largest crypto wallets by active users is MetaMask, uh, right? Which is, uh, which is a wallet uh, that supports ERC tokens uh, and it supports Ethereum, but also the, the chains that are EVM based. So Binance Smart Chain and uh, Polygon and some of the others. That, that are, that's why I say Ethereum me. <laughs> um, MetaMask has grown in this way uh, because like in that community, the sort of the thing that you do is to invest in different assets. And then you, you, you hope that uh, they, they go up in value and then you sell them. Right. And, but you hold those assets within the wallet. Uh, and, and so the wallet becomes a center of interplay. Uh, and so because um, they managed to package people's desire uh, for number to go up uh, with uh, like a web connected wallet, uh, they've seen uh, seen traction. Like they, they appeal to this greed uh, element uh, that uh, that that makes it very successful. Fine. Like we we can argue a lot on whether or not that's a good thing, whether or not that's desirable or or whatever. Uh, but I think we can't argue about the fact that well, it has a lot of users, uh, and uh, that means that they need to figure out user experience type uh, type issues. And so even if you want nothing to do with any uh, altcoin, cryptocurrency, whatever, other than Bitcoin, it, it does make sense to, to, to look at how, uh, how some of these things have been solved in, in, in that world uh, where there is a lot of pressure by users. And my, my attitude with, uh, I mean, with company building and product building is that you don't really know anything until you expose your product to users, right? And so... Um, I believe that uh, I believe in incremental growth. Uh, I believe in finding something that somebody wants to use, uh, and uh, even in the early uh, imperfect form. And then, if they want to use it, but something bugs them, then they will complain. <laughs> and that complaint is is product development feedback. Like th these are the things to to work on. Um, and so, things that are used a lot tend to get their kinks ironed out uh, a lot more. Like a, 
a dirt road uh, that is traveled a lot will be pretty flat uh, versus a, a dirt road uh, that gets traveled rarely. Uh, and, and so, uh, you, you know, but it does create this tension because uh, on ethical grounds, uh, a lot of Bitcoiners don't want to create uh, speculative tokens because, well, that's not what we're about. And we, we didn't show up here to build uh, this uh, decentralized token casino uh, type thing. Uh, and so we kind of like, ah, that, that, that's something else. Um, but I think it is important to be mindful uh, of uh, the fact that a very, very large chunk of Bitcoin users will also use these things. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's a good thing. I'm not saying that it's desirable. In, in some, I'm just stating a fact. Uh, and so you can't, you, you need to figure out, right, um, at which point, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, like leadership. Like you, you can't uh, show up to somebody and like uh, you're an asshole and punch them in the face and believe that they're going to like your ideology, right? So you need to figure out how to move, uh, meet people where they are and then, you know, figure out how to steer them in the direction that you would like to steer them. Um, but uh, I think that it is a bit of a problem uh, in that the, the Bitcoiner ecosystem or, or part of it really uh, has like kind of like isolated itself and like, look, we want nothing part of that. Uh, we want to build our entire new thing uh, blank from the start and we start from the bottom up. Um, but then in the end, it still ends up uh, like, like we can't, I think, decouple Bitcoin from crypto. Like uh, uh, I would argue that maybe it would have been desirable to do, but if we should have done that, we should have done that in like 2013 or uh, 14. Uh, at this point, it's like all of the infrastructure is the same. Uh, all of the uh, all of the users are the same. All of the uh, most of the investors are the same. And like a lot of the things uh, are the same, and so it becomes really really painful to to decouple. And so if um, you know we we can't. Uh, I mean, uh, if say that you have a company that is uh, uh, a shitcoin exchange, let's say, <laughs> to pick the word specifically, uh, we can't go to them and say, "You guys are assholes, you're scamming people," but also, can you please add lightning? Like, <laughs> no, that's yeah. no, that's exactly what Bitcoiners do, though. That is yeah. literally exactly yeah. what they do. <laughs> right, but but like, uh, and and so uh, you kind of need to pick one of the two. Yes, uh, right. And, and some people have understood that and they're like, you know what, fine, we, we don't need to have Lightning on Binance. Uh, let's build our own uh, our own network. Uh, it's going to be better. It's going to have uh, sharks and lasers and uh, and, and whatever. Um, and it, again, it is growing. Like uh, uh, the, the Lightning network currently is uh, multiplying every year uh, uh, steadily by any metric. So it's not that it's not working. It's just that like, if you look at it from the outside, it's like you have this massive casino type uh, galaxy and, and, and this uh, small little solar system uh, that is uh, uh, the Bitcoin only economy. Uh, and like, that's the question is like, uh, if, uh, if, if that's desirable, well, then we need to figure out. But, but even then, you, you know, they do interact via the fiat system, right? So the like part of the Bitcoin only meme, uh, it's not actually Bitcoin only. It's Bitcoin and fiat, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, they, they don't uh, try to distance themselves from fiat. They just want to distance themselves from from other things. But I think that from the purpose of of the vision of a world in which uh, millions and billions of people 
uh, interact with money through their wallet on a, on a daily basis, like probably somebody who currently use this, uses this with Ethereum uh, is easier to convert uh, than somebody uh, who lives deeply uh, into the fiat world and wants nothing to do uh, with anything crypto. Well, I'll take, it a uh, I'll take it a step further and people get real mad when I say it, but there are companies that claim to be Bitcoin only, but they take user funds and they store it in a custodian that is not Bitcoin only. Right. And so in some way, the Bitcoin only company, which is now a marketing message, because obviously they're not Bitcoin only, is paying a shitcoin custodian, according to their definition. Right. So like you're literally but it's a marketing message and, uh, and it's successful. And uh, I'm of the school that, you know, to some extent, like don't hate the player, hate the game. 100 percent. I think that we're in a world where, you know, Coinbase was very dominant in the U.S. and now it's being attacked from multiple directions. And one of the directions is uh, from the. Uh, from the Bitcoin maximalistic side. And so it definitely makes sense to do something like that. Um, I think it, and I, from what I can see, it's, it's working well. But that, that's the thing is that it's very hard, uh, right, uh, to, to really, really, really uh, distance yourself. But yes. maybe it doesn't matter. Like in some ways, like I think, like, I mean, I've struggled with this stuff as well uh, quite a bit. Like I think I've landed at the point where um, but this is like my own. I'm not arguing that p other people should have the same ethic. Uh, like my ethic is that like don't promote altcoins, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't. Bitrefill do doesn't. We we never have. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we do acknowledge the fact that there are people that use these things, uh, yep. and if they choose to use these things to make cryptocurrency payments uh, for real real world things, then we will provide that service for them. Uh, not to sort of say that this coin is good, this coin is bad, you should invest in this, that we don't promote any investments whatsoever. Uh, we're, we're a tool. <laughs> we're <Yep>. a thing. <laughs> well, you well, can use it if you want. Uh, and if you don't, it's fine. <laughs> what, what, what's a, another good example, I think, is take a Coinbase, right? And, and a lot of people in the Bitcoin community have problems with Coinbase or whatever. Uh, they are responsible for onboarding a lot of people to Bitcoin. Now, did they onboard the most? Are they still onboarding as many people as the previous? Like there's all these nuances to the debate, but at the end of the day, in the United States, Coinbase for a very long time, if somebody said, okay, I'm finally convinced, whether it was a podcast, Twitter, my friend, I read something in the newspaper, whatever, I'm finally convinced to buy Bitcoin, they would go to Coinbase and that would be their entry into the world. And so I think that that, is hard to kind of reconcile with the people who are upset at Coinbase for doing whatever. Um, but, but I think it's an interesting data point. Another example, and, and again, you get kind of in this world where like, sometimes you don't even have all the information, but there's a company that helped a public pension buy Bitcoin, which sounds amazing. And they say that they are Bitcoin only, but then in the announcement, it says that the pension bought Bitcoin and ether. And so, Again, through a sister company. <laughs> well, well, again, like the question becomes like, if that company is the one who helped them buy Ether, does that, should they then be blasted for not actually being Bitcoin only? Or is the thought process, hey, we went in, we explained to them Bitcoin, somebody on the investment team said, okay, fine, if we're going to buy Bitcoin, we also want to buy this other thing. And so as a necessary component to getting them to buy Bitcoin, we help them buy Ether as well. It goes back to kind of like, is there a purity test or is the goal, yes, other things will exist and it doesn't mean you have to promote them. It doesn't mean you have to necessarily push them forward, but you have to at least understand that pushing Bitcoin forward is not in a vacuum and it, it doesn't mean that you have to kill everything else. Other things are going to exist. Like for whatever reason, gold is still going to be around in 10 years. 
right? But I don't see a lot of people saying, let's destroy gold. Gold is a scam. You know, let's go and, and uh, uh, get rid of it. They may say that it's going to go down in value. They may say it, get, it may get demonetized, but that seems like a very different argument than uh, maybe what's being argued about everything else. And, and so it begs the question, like, is the other stuff and focusing and attacking all the other stuff just a distraction from the ultimate goal of pushing Bitcoin adoption uh, kind of forward? I mean, I think you're, you're, you're digging into a very hairy subject here uh, that probably will require several uh, long-form conversations about. I mean, a lot of this stuff uh, goes back to, to the history of Bitcoin and the history of altcoins, uh, things like pre-mines and so on that have been seen as uh, unethical because in most cases, the uh, vast majority of them it was. Um, of course. It, so, uh, and, and that's something that's different for, from, say, gold. You know, gold is gold. It's been gold for th thousands of years. So um, so it's not that somebody is, is peddling you gold that they invented themselves. And, and, and I think that there is definitely, you know, I mean, you can't blame people for arguing things according to their ethics, uh, right? Um, some things are complex right some things are both good and bad especially companies usually are um and you can definitely you know uh, salute them when they do something good and uh, uh, and uh, complain when they do something that you consider to be bad and, and just because somebody did something good in the past doesn't mean that they get a free pass uh, to do something that you consider to be bad either right so it's it's a it's it's a comp complex question and I like to really understand it especially if you're if you're new in the, into the space that like you really got to like study like the early days of it and, and how it evolved and so on um at the same time like maybe the interesting question isn't isn't that yeah right and and I think that in this time where people are arguing about words and phrasings and so on maybe the interesting things like phrase you, your personal mission statement like yeah, for example like my mission statement is for more people to use Bitcoin, uh, or uh, my mission statement is for uh, fewer people to use uh, use uh, altcoins, right? Uh, maybe both of these. Uh, you know, there, there's all of these different variants and so on that get get mixed up, uh, right? Uh, and in a lot of ways, uh, again, some of these things are kind of outside of our control because of market dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean. Uh, like Binance, uh, as far as I know, is still the fastest growing company in the history of companies, uh, or at least was in the beginning. Uh, and they were that because they were the, the best access point to the crypto token casino. Um, so um, it's tough, you know, uh, it's it's very tough to, to argue on sort of uh, on uh, uh, on moral grounds against market dynamics and uh, the fact that humans are kind of flawed and greedy and just looking for the 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 fast way to to, to get rich here. I do think there's a place to to explain and argue. Here's why I think this is good. Here's why I think this is problematic. And I think that there's a lot of cases where the, the Bitcoin only uh, type movements have actually, you know, helped people to, to avoid uh, getting trapped and things. So it's uh, it's it's uh, it's complex, right? Uh, there's a, a, like to me, I think that, that for me, the interesting question uh, is uh, uh, about transactional use, and like I want more people to transact with Bitcoin. 
like uh, on a regular basis. Like that's my personal mission statement. Uh, and so uh, if somebody uh, chooses to transact with uh, with another cryptocurrency, uh, that's not uh, uh, that's an opportunity for you know for for achieving the mission statement. Uh, and probably going on the offense isn't uh, the best way of uh, uh, of achieving that goal. But people can differ in this, and it's a it's a it's it's a delicate subject, uh, and you kind of like need to to keep a lot of things in mind. If, if there was an easy answer here, uh, we would have already seen it. Like in the end, it's like a, a political question. Yeah. You know, should you should you conservative or should you liberal or should you uh, Austrian economics or should you Keynesian economics? Like these are things that people argue about and have different views on, um, and uh, it's. Uh, it's a little tough, I think, uh, to 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 say. Uh, like, uh, I, th- I think it's it's more interesting to approach from, uh, like we we're talking before, like from practical, from marketing standpoints, mm-hmm. and so on. Like, what is uh, what is affecting effective at achieving a certain uh, a certain goal, a certain change that you want to see uh, in uh, in the world. This episode is brought to you by Compass Mining, the world's largest marketplace for mining hardware and hosting. With Compass, everyone can mine Bitcoin. You can do it at home or in one of their 23 hosting facilities around the world. All you need to do to start mining your own Bitcoin is go to compassmining.io today. Again, if you want to get into Bitcoin mining, go check out compassmining.io today. This episode is brought to you by Exodus, the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet. They offer beautiful, user-friendly blockchain products that sync across all your devices, making it easy to send, receive, and exchange over 150 crypto assets in one place. And with world-class customer service available to you 24-7, Exodus always has your back. Run, don't walk, over to exodus.com slash pomp for your free download today. Again, that's exodus.com slash pomp. Go check him out for your free download today. This episode is brought to you by LMAX Digital, the number one institutional crypto exchange. They offer clients the deepest pool of liquidity, and they have a 100% uptime track record through all the volatility spikes. LMAX Group's liquidity relationships and ultra-low latency technology means that LMAX Digital is the market-leading solution for institutions across crypto trading and custodial services. LMAX Digital, secure, liquid, and trusted. Go learn more at lmaxdigital.com slash pomp. Again, that's lmaxdigital.com slash pomp. What I appreciate about your viewpoint is uh, just at the onset, the world is complex. It's not black and white. And there's lots of nuance. Uh, and actually, two things can be true at the same time uh, or two things can be true at different times. Right? Your, your comment about a company who maybe uh, people don't like can do something good and a company that people do like can do something bad. Uh, and, and that's really hard to have that conversation on Twitter in you know, 280 characters. Uh, and sure. it's also really hard. Uh, I think when, uh, when, when the movement is, uh, kind of forcing a certain type of conversation because it runs at sometimes counter, right? You know, you can imagine if everyone really, really likes a company, uh, within a movement and they do something kind of out of step, uh, it's unpopular to say, Hey, actually, I don't agree with that thing or vice versa, right? Is if everyone rails against a company in that movement and they do something good, it seems off or, or, uh, it takes courage at, at times to say, Hey, that company that nobody likes actually did something good and we should celebrate the good thing they did. Um, but, but, but it's, it's complex, I, I think to your point and, uh, uh, unfortunately, the internet does not allow for super nuanced conversations to allow uh, people to have that usually. 
I, I had someone uh, propose to me a theory, I forget who it was, unfortunately, uh, about like the, the recent developments of the past couple of years, that uh, during the years where, where the world was plagued by, by COVID, uh, there were no conferences and so on, people weren't meeting in person. Uh, and so conversations uh, happened mostly on, on Twitter or maybe in longer form on podcasts. Uh, and in, at least on Twitter, it's very much so that you can't, like uh, a nuanced uh, uh, analysis of something is antiviral. Like if you write, uh, here's some good things and also some bad things, it's going to go nowhere. Uh, what you should do is instead make two different tweets, right? Here's what's great about this thing and what makes me bullish, and it's going to go to the moon in that group. And here's what I hate about that thing and uh, what, what, what sucks about it. And you're going to get all the haters, right? Um, and, and both of those messages are going to go viral. The newest one doesn't. Um, whereas uh, in, in a world where people are meeting in, in, in person, having conversations with, with humans, it, it's quite like it's easier to establish nuance. It's easier mm -hmm. to establish. Uh, human relationships, uh, uh, ties, like mutual understandings of, of, of ethics. You, you know, like, hey, if this is, uh, you know, a, a dude uh, that I've met, uh, you know, 10 times in the 10 different countries over uh, over five years, uh, we've gone, gotten drunk and had adventures, this and that. I somewhat understand uh, this person and, and what uh, what he means when he says this and that. Uh, even I might not disagree with that and so on, right? Whereas in a world where everything happens on Twitter, everything gets like super polar polarized and you're evil here and you're good here, but eventually kind of like uh, given the principle that one strike you're out and everybody ends up in the, uh, in the, in the evil crowd. Yeah. Right. And there's not even like, a, there's not, you know, like the, uh, the recent uh, uh, uprising against uh, the maximalists, but like the maximalists are not a uniform group. They disagree and fight with each other a lot about all kinds <laughs> of stuff. And like there, there's like there wasn't even a successful attempt at defining what maximalism. Only like I know it when I see it, and so on. So it's it, it's tricky, uh, and I think that a lot of newcomers to the space, uh, something that people don't always recognize, I think, is that. The crypto space is like uh, it's it's a web uh, of personal relationships, right? And these personal relationships span uh, across the camps. They really do. Uh, you know that like uh, you you're gonna see you know uh, a guy uh, fight with another guy and they hate each other and call each other the, the most horrible things. Uh, but you don't know that you know they have like 200 common friends and most of them think that both of them are pretty good guys. Uh, right, so you you don't see these things uh, if you're just observing from uh, from Twitter, uh, and you, you don't sort of uh, until you've hung out in the sort of uh, uh, speakers uh, uh, sessions and seen how people actually like hang out with each other uh, when it's not uh, you know that every word that they say is being scrutinized uh, uh, for uh, for potential heresy, but can actually like talk and like discuss. Uh, controversial ideas and sometimes it helps when con discussing controversial ideas it helps to be drunk you know because then you can always uh, <laughs> like hey, hey I was just being drunk you know <laughs> it's the best defense um, so uh, uh, so so these things uh, like I, I think that we kind of like went into such a direction and so like the influencers that bubbled up were those that were like 
peddling one specific message over and over and over again, finding a certain demographic and so on. They kind of bubble up to the top, whereas the people that have like nuanced conversations about uh, about things and are cap- capable to assessing from different uh, perspectives kind of like phase out. Uh, and But now so, sort of the world is like waking up again, people are meeting up, they're hanging out and you're like, oh yeah, you, did you also think that that thing was bullshit that is actually in our in-group? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, let's not tell anyone, but we're just trying to discuss this, uh, right? Uh, and it's like these conversations are happening, right? And these bonds are forming uh, over uh, bonds of people that, that know each other in the physical world and have a friendship and mutual respect and appreciation. Uh, and, and again, these things are uh, very hard if you're a newcomer to, to understand and, and, and see and to, and to assess. Um, and uh, social media is one of these things where, you, you know, you like the people that rise are those who focus on it uh, uh, professionally or, or full time. But that's not necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean that they are the ones with the best views uh, uh, at all times. Uh, right. Uh, I mean, people. I mean, I, I guess I'm biased, but uh, I mean, I, I like people who build things <laughs> uh, and uh, like companies or products or or, or or whatever. And like, yeah, well, if you spend uh, all day, every day building stuff, you're going to have less time to spend on Twitter. Yeah, right. So those people's messages get a little bit um, uh, muzzled down in, in, in such a world Uh with a few rare ex- uh, exceptions of people that are like exceptional speakers and uh, they managed to, to get it across. But like, yeah. I, I think it makes a lot of sense when people listen to this and they get mad at us for whatever random thing, we'll just tell them that we both were drunk and uh, it'll be a good excuse. <laughs> before, exactly. we, before we finish up, uh, w- one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, BitRefill has been doing a lot of work in El Salvador and you know everyone gets all excited about El Salvador. Uh, there's some people who think it's the greatest thing ever. Some people think it's an absolute uh, uh, dictatorship and, and, and not going so hot. Uh, I'm less concerned about El Salvador itself as much as this idea of the circular economy. And, and I know that you all are, are spending a lot of time, uh, one, trying to understand what's happening, but also two, uh, being helpful Maybe you can describe a little bit as to what work you guys are doing there and, and what you're seeing that is working and maybe where you're still seeing obstacles or, or challenges as you uh, try to help. Sure. So, I mean, when all of this ruckus about the Bitcoin law started happening, we kind of had a, uh, several big team discussions. And I mean, again, our goal is is a world in which it's as natural to transact in cryptocurrency as it is to, to have a conversation over a, over a video call. Um, and uh, if... It's so rare to have an environment where uh, where there's a country where, okay, there isn't, first of all, there isn't a big incumbent payment network. Uh, the competition is physical cash. Uh, and the government is uh, not uh, trying to put sticks in your wheels, but actually, uh, you know, trying as best as they can to, to help and push uh, these things, uh, uh, right? So we were like, you know what, let's make a, make a uh, you know, visionary strategic uh, bet uh, on this, uh, we go down to Salvador, we see what we can do uh, to get a circular economy going and to get it to spread uh, right to, to the mainstream, to the people that don't necessarily uh, participate in the movement, that don't necessarily love Bitcoin or anything like that, that just that might use it as a tool that lets them live their life in a better way. Uh, so we went down there in the, in the fall uh, of, uh, of last year, I guess uh, soon a year ago. Uh, we set up a local subsidiary. Uh, we uh, we hired uh, one person at first, and then uh, two more team members uh, flew over. 
uh, we set up uh, um, a bill payment solution in El Salvador uh, by partnering with a local company that uh, that does that. And uh, and so uh, what it achieves is that you can pay your you know your utilities or your your mortgage or uh, your your credit cards or uh, what have you uh, with uh, with with Bitcoin. Uh, on top of many of the other things that Bitrefill has, uh, which is the gift cards for for digital goods, that is also very popular. Uh, especially games were very popular among uh, the youngsters in in El Salvador, uh, even before we we showed up and made a made a concerted effort. And so, what we're doing there is again like trying to create a circular economy, like trying to get uh, you know uh, thousands, uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. Uh, to use uh, Bitcoin on a regular uh, basis. Uh, and we're putting a lot of energy, much more than uh, is uh, appropriate for a com- country that size. But like, uh, what we see is that it's, you know, it's as easy as it's going to get. Uh, and it's still really freaking hard. Uh, right? So uh, the goal is if we figure it out there, then, then we will have learnings in a playbook that we can apply on, uh, on other countries uh, that we can use for, for uh, spreading uh, the the Bitcoin dream uh, outside of uh, uh, the, the core group of uh, of uh, uh, movementarians, and so we've been there uh, uh, trying to do marketing. Uh, I mean, it's uh, I very much uh, recommend for for Bitcoiners to go down there themselves. I think all of this becomes a lot more clear. It's a great country. Uh, there's uh, beaches and surfing and uh, Bitcoin stuff, and there's you know, even if you don't go during the time of a Bitcoin conference, there is always going to be a little Bitcoin meetup going on almost every night of people who are also there and exploring. It's like a great hangout. So I very much recommend uh, uh, somebody uh, planning a vacation to, to consider going there. Um, I think in, in, in practice, uh, I mean, we see that it's not so easy, <laughs> uh, even if the the government is uh, is trying to help, but the government is the government, and governments are not usually famous for being great at pushing technological innovation on uh, towards people, right? And so it's it's a little bit tricky. They don't always move in in startupy ways uh, because governments kind of government. Um, so like the the reality is that there are definitely people that are using Bitcoin uh, uh, even outside of. Uh, uh, Elizonte and Bitcoin Beach and all of, all of these areas, it's still not that like everybody does, right? So even though the law says that every company uh, has to accept Bitcoin, but like, most companies don't and they don't get persecuted for that or or, uh, or anything. Yeah, but it's kind of like encouraged uh, from, a, from a system level. Um, but it's still hard. Like we're still fighting there against uh, many of the the classic uh, Bitcoin issues, like we, you know, first time uh, I heard a taxi driver there say that, yeah, I have some Bitcoin in my wallet here that customers paid me, but like, I'm not, not going to buy anything with them. I'm going to save them in case it goes up in value. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it was like, very like, ah, okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, this, this is the same. It's the same here as it is in uh, anywhere else uh, with these dynamics. And there's also other dynamics uh, that we're fighting against. Uh, I think the biggest one is that for people that are unbanked, which is like 70% of the population, like the notion of money is the notion of green physical dollar bills that you carry in, in your pocket. Um, and, and, and so switching to a notion of money as being a number on, on your phone 
uh, even more a weird number with decimals and stuff. Uh, but even like just the idea of like that money is a thing that lives on, on, on your phone uh, is, is hard for people to trust. Because uh, is it real money if I can't uh, feel it? Uh, and so that's the sort of things that we're, we're up against. Uh, there's certain parts of uh, society that, uh, you know, are a little bit uh, wary of Bitcoin because they perceive it as a government thing. Uh, which is uh, uh, kind of interesting. Uh, so they're like, ah, I don't know, the government, uh, you know, even if we support them, but who knows what they might do and so on. Um, and, and so there's like a big effort uh, from uh, from companies like uh, like Strike and the Bitcoin Beach Project and so on to, to promote alternative wallets that are independent and so on. But then again, you have the question of Bitcoin brand and uh, how does Bitcoin work and, and, and all of these things uh, that... Uh, that make it tricky. So again, it's it's one of these things where you know when you when you have something with an exponential growth <laughs> and you're in the in the early stages of it, uh, you can uh, you can make an excellent case for why it's going insanely great. It's you know it's like five uh, uh, x every year. Uh, yeah, you know uh, you can also be like ah, but it's still tiny. You know, ninety nine percent of society isn't using it, and both of these things can be can be true. So so it depends on kind of like how you choose to to frame it, uh, whether or not it's going well uh, or not. Uh, it's still a massive challenge. Like uh, and the companies that are there, I know that they're they're trying stuff, trying marketing, trying uh, business models and schemes and so on uh, to figure out you know how to get it into the hands of people. And there's a lot of still a lot of different uh, chicken and egg type uh, problems. Uh, I'll give you an example. I guess like we we're trying to figure out like how can we get because El Salvador is a country where a big chunk of the population emigrated and many of them live in the U.S. now. Uh, and so like 20 or 30% of the economy is actually remittances, which is uh, immigrants uh, that now live, uh, for example, in the US sending money back to their relatives back home. Uh, and, and so this seems like a pretty obvious thing uh, that uh, Bitcoin would be very useful for that. Uh, and then uh, uh, the people who receive it can then use it to pay their bills or to shop with it or whatever. And it can actually uh, fuel this uh, circular economy because you'll have people that have coins to spend. But then it turns out that, well, it's actually really hard uh, for a Salvadoran to buy Bitcoin in the US uh, because in order to use any of the uh, dominant uh, buying, uh, buying Bitcoin services, you need to have... Uh, I forget, uh, an American social security number, which uh, maybe you don't have. And so you, then you don't pass the KYC stage and then you can't actually get Bitcoin. And so uh, the only way that remittances, I think maybe someone will correct me on this, are flowing is actually through like the government uh, Chivo wallets that they put in places in the US where you can buy Bitcoin with cash. Yeah, But like it, it's, again, one of these things where, uh, you know, uh, uh, it shows the um, the the tension that we have uh, when uh, when we don't have a circular economy and we're kind of tied to to the current system and the regulatory framework. Some things become hard to do, right? And uh, I mean, the, the Bitcoin dream is a world where remittances is not even a thing, right? We're not here to fix remittances. We're here to get rid of it. To, to obsolete uh, that concept and put it next to long distance phone calls uh, on the on the shelf of history uh, because what do you mean you can't send money from here to there obviously you can or you know like hey i get paid here and i buy pizza there what's what's problematic with that i mean that, that's what we're heading towards 
uh, but it's hard, right? And it's hard, and the, the companies that are uh, offering buy Bitcoin in the US are also struggling, you know, to figure out uh, the regulatory things that they need to be on the right side of the law and all of uh, all of these things. And so, um, a lot of the stuff, it's it's yeah, it's a it's not trivial. Um, I think it is moving in a in a very promising uh, direction. Uh, we're continuing to uh, to invest uh, in our efforts in uh, in El Salvador and doing uh, a lot more uh, marketing experimentation there. Um, we're we're seeing some uh, uh, some progress. Uh, I'm pretty sure that we're the number one thing that people buy uh, with Bitcoin uh, in El Salvador just as we are uh, anywhere else in the world, but it's still, uh, uh, you know, a, a very small uh, sliver of, uh, of society that, that uses Bitcoin on a, uh, on a regular basis. But it is growing uh, at, at, at a good pace. And uh, whether or not we'll be able to sustain it and how fast it will grow, uh, that remains to be seen. And we're, we're doing everything that we can to make sure that, uh, that we, we, we do grow in, uh, in, in these ways. I guess that's a bit of a, like... Uh, the, the real talk, uh, uh, probably this is going to get edited out because it was not bullish enough. No, no, look. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it, but uh, but uh, we're having the nuanced conversation here. Uh, so I'm giving you the nuanced answer, right? Uh, some things are insanely great. Uh, some things are tricky. That's, yeah, uh, it, it, is, um, uh, it is closer to the truth than the extremes that are presented on Twitter. Right. And, and the bulls and the bears both have extremes that are presented. Yeah. Uh, and they're but, both true. Like they're both yes. uh, representations of the same objective truth. Uh, yes. Like we are somewhere on the early stage of what might be an exponential growth. You know, that is where we are. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the rest is a question of what kind of glasses you use to, to look at it. Uh, it's uh, uh, like the old, I mean, Bitcoin is like that. It's the, the old uh, elephant meme, right? Where like five blind guys uh, stand next to an elephant and it's like, this part is rough and this part is smooth and it's, it's pointy and you know, whatever, right? Um, so it kind of like it brings out what, whatever it is in you. Uh, and I mean, there's a lot of things to discuss, uh, obviously, about, you know, the, the politics of Salvador. Uh, I don't think I'm, uh, I'm the best person to do so. I think it's been well discussed on uh, on the internet by other people. Um, Bitcoin isn't part of politics. I think. I think most of the Bitcoin people that are in El Salvador are there for Bitcoin and for El Salvador rather than uh, for the government per se. And maybe if, if if the government is smart, they will see it that way as well. Um, but again, it's it's it's, it's complex. <laughs> Even the government is not one thing. It's a lot of people that are interacting in different ways and have different understandings of things and so on. I, I could not agree more. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or find out more about BitRefill? Just go to bitrefill.com uh, and, uh, uh, or find BitRefill on Twitter. And uh, you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm sure there will be a, a link in the show notes. and uh, at Zigamon. Awesome, Sergey. Listen, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to do this. I I really enjoyed it, and I think uh, you know uh, your nuanced view uh, and kind of what I perceive as your constant pursuit of uh, of the ground truth is uh, uh, is admirable, and I think important. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's fun to screw around on the internet, but at the end of the day, we do have to build products. We do have to to continue to improve the tools uh, so that people continue to uh, use this stuff. So I appreciate uh, not only one, your, your and your team's contribution in, in terms of doing that, but also uh, uh, your ability to uh, just 
kind of remind people, hey, the, the tool is important and uh, the movement's important too, but uh, but we do need to build stuff. And uh, uh, I think that a lot of people uh, appreciate that message. So, uh, so thanks so much for sharing it. Thank you so much, man. Uh, thanks so much for the opportunity. It's, been, it's a lot of fun. All right, we'll definitely do it again in the future. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to transition into a brand new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to thecryptoacademy.io. My team and I have been working with the top HR teams in the industry to develop an intensive three-week training program with over 50 live events. We teach you exactly what you need to know to break into the industry, including live interview prep and resume review. Our students have been hired at over 75 of the world's best Bitcoin and crypto companies. Go to thecryptoacademy.io to learn more. Again, that's thecryptoacademy.io. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with your friends, and I'll see you all for the next episode.